Have you ever wondered why some businesses fail while others succeed? Unfortunately, most businesses fail. In fact, studies indicate 70% of startups never make it to their fifth year. Fortunately, knowledge is power, and in this five-part series, you will learn first how to spot the warning signs of business failure, and second, the best practices for leading successful businesses. It is my pleasure to introduce Patrick Finneran. Pat has over 34 years of business leadership experience, ranging from entrepreneurial work with private equity firms to large-scale enterprise management. He is a retired Marine Corps officer and Vietnam combat veteran. He is the president of Accelerated Performance Solutions, a business consulting company. Pat is the former CEO at Saberliner Corporation and is a retired senior executive at the Boeing Company. In this five-part series, Pat will reveal the timeless lessons that give you the edge you need to avoid the pitfalls and overcome the odds. Each episode contains powerful strategies, management guides, and tactical approaches to help you grow your business, improve your company's performance, and master a positive, respectable brand. Sponsored by Ascension Transformation Solutions, this is Leading Successful Businesses. Welcome back to the final segment in Leading Successful Businesses. In part one, we talked about building a solid foundation that included a compelling vision, meaningful values, a clear mission, and the strategies and plans to achieve that vision. In part two, we discussed the role of the leader in making sure that the business was well run by establishing a customer-facing organization structured around the workflow of the business with clear responsibility, accountability, and authority for everybody in the organization, well-trained people, proven processes, and effective systems. Today, we're going to address keeping the business on course to achieve not just financial success, but also customer, employee, and stakeholder satisfaction. This is accomplished by using an integrated performance management process designed to provide business leaders with a robust, repeatable, proven process that yields positive, predictable results. It is a consistent way of leading an organization and keeping it on course. It has the extra benefit of building a culture of excellence, developing customer confidence in the organization's ability to deliver, and it will improve employee satisfaction by increasing transparency, reducing uncertainty, and enabling empowered teams. To be successful, this process requires commitment by everybody in the organization. As we discussed earlier, the business plan provides the vision, the values, the mission, and the strategies to accomplish the mission and the resources that are necessary. The business performance review is optimally a weekly look at how well the teams are executing those plans and strategies. A typical business plan review will start with high-level financial performance data. How are we doing relative to our annual operating plan commitment? How's the revenue? What do the gross margins look like? How are the operating costs? Fixed and variable overheads, SGNA, direct and indirect costs. What are the operating margins? Are they what we want them to be? While most reviews start here, it's important to understand that these numbers 
are results. They are the result of effective management of the following things by the leaders at all levels of the organization. And these are the elements that have to be managed every day by every team leader. Cost relative to the budget, schedule relative to the plan, quality, technical performance to specification, supplier performance, customer satisfaction, employee satisfaction, risk identification and mitigation, safety, and knowing when to ask for help. Excellent companies establish a battle rhythm. They have weekly performance reviews, monthly reporting within the organization, quarterly assessments and reporting external to the organization, annual accomplishment to plan that's linked to compensation. This weekly and monthly reporting are only as good as the quality and the timeliness of the data which the leaders use for the information. Let me share with you what, what my experience was. When I was privileged to take over the leadership role for the F-18 program in Boeing, there was already a good system in place and a good team in place. So I started off in great shape. We started every Monday morning with a program review. That review started about eight o'clock in the morning and went until we were done. We started with the highest level of each type model series airplane. How are the A's and B's doing, the C's and D's, and the E's and F's, which were in development test. We then went through the work breakdown structure of the airplane, piece by piece, team by team down to three or four levels deep to make sure that we were on cost, on schedule, meeting quality requirements, meeting performance requirements. What we looked for in this plan were exceptions. If they were on plan, we didn't discuss it. If they were marginal, which was a yellow color code, then we'd say, hey, is that gonna be okay? Do you have a plan? A simple yes, we trusted the team, let it go. If it was red, then we stopped and discussed it. And not just with the team leader, but with the program manager. And if the program manager was confident, the type model series program manager, if he was confident, he or she, then we'd let him go till the next meeting. If they didn't have a good explanation, and we had a special interest meeting that occurred after the main meeting to talk about anything that really didn't have a solid plan going forward. So exceptions to plan, and, and those were around revenue, cost, operating earnings, schedule, quality, and technical performance. We mentioned the color code. We had red, yellow, and green. Green was on plan. If something was green, we had confidence enough in our data system that we knew we were on cost and on schedule and meeting our technical performance requirements. It was yellow, it meant we were greater than 5% off and we needed a plan to get back to green, to get back on plan. Being off plan was never, never acceptable. We never treated anyone harshly about this. That's the, the idea is that this is information and it's information that tells us what we can do to make appropriate changes. 
it's not something that you're going to hold somebody accountable and say, gosh, you're doing a horrible job. There are a lot of reasons things can get slightly off course. So it's like navigating an airplane. When you're flying from point A to point B, the wind might change and you take a update on your position, you find out you're off course. It's the truth of what is. You can't do anything about that. So what you do is you set a course to get back on course and then head back on your way to complete the trip. And if something's red, you're significantly off plan. Now, again, this is not meant to be punitive in any way. If, it's, if, it's ever, if you ever make this punitive, you'll never get the correct data. You've got to always accept the truth of what is and accept it with, with a, a grateful heart that you now know at least that this particular element is having a problem. Because what that then allows you to do is marshal the necessary resources to get it back on plan. So we never let the color code get emotional. It was always just data. So we're there, okay, we have to make a minor correction, or now we've got to rally the troops, get the resources in place, and figure out what we're going to do to recover from a major off-course position. The most important thing is to understand why we got there. Making the changes is interesting. Why did we get there? And there's a process called 5 Why. It's called five why because you simply ask the question why five times. When you ask why the first time, somebody might say, well, we had a supplier problem. Okay, why? Well, the supplier had a yield problem. Okay, why? Well, they weren't properly using SPC and their system didn't have automatic SPC. They were doing it manually and they were making bad entries and that ended up uh, causing some parts to be uh, improperly drilled. Got it. What are we doing now? What are we going to do about it? So do you understand the whole notion of the five why process is to understand why you've got in that situation. So now when you rally the resources, you know what you're rallying around and what you need to do to recover and to get back on course. Let's look at some examples of different situations. What if your revenue is below expectation? Why is that? Well, gosh, it could be late customer payments. It could be temporary customer withholds because of a quality problem. It could be heavier than planned discounting on, a, on something, particularly on commercial airplanes. It could be a lost competition. It could be an unhappy customer and the failure to capture award fee. Looking through those, digging through those, trying to understand when revenue's off, that's just information. Now you've got to figure out why it's off. What about operating costs? Well, it could be poor workforce planning. It could be a lack of meaningful performance data. Maybe there's an, there was some assumptions that expended hours equal produced hours that happened to me at one company when we didn't have earned value management. Maybe you're waiting for parts. It happened to me a lot in the services business. So again, you want to understand the issue. I'll, I'll tell you a story. I became the CEO of a small company, mid-sized company, really, uh, after I left Boeing. And when I was interviewing with the company, the financials looked good. Uh, the problem is they really weren't. When I got on board and finally started understanding what was happening, we had uh, a very poor performance management process. The uh, data was inaccurate. The EACs were incorrect. 
We didn't have repeatable processes at any level of the organization. But the finance department had been accepting the EACs from the production department without ever questioning those until it was too late. The company didn't have a Lean Six Sigma process. There was no SPC on the shop floor, no earned value system, earned value management system. We had uh, poor training, poorly trained leaders was the biggest problem. Quality and supplier management had problems. I wish the story had a happy ending, but it didn't. Uh, despite the fact that we infused significant talent who knew how to fix the problem, we invested in the right systems and processes. We never had buy-in by the ownership of the company. And that cultural resistance caused uh, disruption, and it caused people not to really rally around these processes. The sad story is that a number of us left because it, there just wasn't an acceptance of what needed to be done. And I'm disappointed and sad because within a year, the company went out of business. If you don't take this stuff seriously, your company will go out of business. Another area that we ought to look at is schedule. I talk a lot about earned value management. If you don't really understand earned value management, we will do a segment next month about earned value management. But there are two schedule systems you have to work together. One is the earned value management system, and the other is the critical path management system. I think most people are familiar with CPM, critical path management, which basically is a, it's a tree that you can look at that says X needs to be done before Y, and Y needs to be done before Z. And if X doesn't get done, then Y and Z are going to be late. When you combine that with earned value management, and it, does, it lets you do two things. First of all, in the early stages of a development program, a production program, people can do a lot of easy things that aren't on the critical path that don't really matter. They just generate inventory. And it makes certain value look really good because you're doing these easy things and you're doing them well and you're doing them below cost and at a schedule and everything looks rosy. You have to compare that with critical path. Are these things on the critical path? Will they ever be on the critical path? And why aren't we doing the things that are on the critical path now when we should be? So you have to work these two systems together to really understand where you are on, on, on schedule. A lot of reasons you can have schedule problems. You, know, you can have poor planning, late parts, quality issues. You can have inefficient processes and systems. Anytime you have a schedule problem, you have a cost problem. Cost and schedule are inseparable. In, in any business. I'll give you another example. I had just taken over the service services business and was uh, met with five programs that were reach forward loss. Reach forward loss means that the, uh, the financial organization had decided that there was no way those programs were ever going to recover back to being profitable. And so they went ahead and took the losses early for accounting purposes. One of those was uh, a large airplane that's used for airborne command and control. And the young program manager uh, came in to brief and we're, we were going through the, the program and I started asking questions and I got this, well, sorry, you don't understand. We're now in the services business. It's not like production. You can't plan out everything ahead of time. So our, our planning is not like production planning. 
I said, that's interesting. Why not? Well, because we don't get the airplane and we don't get to look at the airplane until we get the airplane. I said, that's interesting. Why not? What do you mean? Why not? I said, why not? Can you go ahead of time, 30 days ahead of time and look at the airplane? Well, I guess we could. I said, well, geez, why don't we? That's how many of these airplanes have we done? Or how many times is this only a small number of these airplanes, these command control airplanes? I said, how many, how many times have, collectively have we done these things? Oh, a couple hundred. And I said, do we have records of having done this? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I said, do we look at those records? Do we do a Pareto analysis to find out you know, what part fails every time? It has to be replaced every time. And what part never fails? Oh, no, sir, we haven't done that. I said, gosh, would that be worthwhile? And I said, I see, uh, you know, you, you said we had late parts. How many late parts do we have? 12,000. I said, gosh, that sounds like about every part in the airplane. Well, it's every part that needs to be used during, during the modification that we're doing. Now, what the modification is with maintenance, maintenance, repair, and overhaul of the airplane. And I said, why are 1,200 parts late? I said, how many of those 1,200 parts were ordered inside of parts lead time? All 1,200. I said, geez, why? Well, it's back to our previous conversation. We didn't know the, we needed these parts until uh, we got the airplane and started looking at it. And I said, so you, you think maybe if we started Pareto analysis and, and maybe determine how many parts we're probably going to need and order some parts and expectation. And, and gosh, if we're lucky enough not to need them on the next airplane, we'll surely need them on the airplane after that. If, if the Pareto analysis says they're being used all the time, and shouldn't we go out and check the airplane 30 days in advance? I bet the customer would be delighted because they'd get a better product quicker. And long story short, we did all that. And long story short, that young program manager turned out to be just exceptional. Uh, she uh, she is a very senior executive today, performing exceptionally well, and I'm incredibly proud of her. So, again, uh, all you need is to teach people what to do, have confidence in them, and let them go, and they do a great job. Last thing I want to talk about is quality. People think about delivered quality, and that's important. And delivered quality ought to always be perfect. It's the cost of delivering that quality perfectly, the cost of rework, repair, and scrap. And most people don't think about this, and it occurs everywhere. I work with a veterinary business, and I've, I've had this conversation with them. I said, how much, how much waste do you have because of rework, repair, and scrap? And they said, what do you mean rework, repair, and scrap? I said, well, you get a, a pet in the door, and you're supposed to draw blood. And the, the first technician is unable to draw blood and, and the syringe that's used is now no good. So you gotta go get a new syringe and get another person and, and draw that blood. That's rework. You've had to do that work twice. And there's a cost associated with that. Oh, okay. How about repair? And I said, well, you're gonna go in and you're gonna do a minor surgery. And in the process of that minor surgery, uh, there's a small surgical accident. They happen all the time. It's not, not a tragedy. We're not talking about killing some dog here or cat here or human in a human hospital. There's, there's an error. 
and you got to repair it right away. But that means you're you're using that time and those resources to fix something you broke, not fix what you went in to fix. And what about scrap? So now you're going to go in and take an x-ray and you don't do it properly. And lo and behold, the x-ray is useless. Even though they're digital x-rays today, they, you can still mess them up. And so you have to scrap that x-ray. Well, there's a cost associated with that. And, and usually when you start scrapping things, the costs become more significant. So I asked the team, I said, how many client visits do you have in a year? And it was like 15,000. And I said, of those client visits, how many of those actually involve doing something to the pet that comes in? Roughly 10,000. So terrific. I said, uh, what do you think the average cost of waste is because of rework, repair, and scrap, just based on our conversation. I said, this is not data. This is just notional. And oh gosh, the numbers ranged anywhere from, you know, a dollar to $10. And I said, why don't we just pick $5? That, that every time one of those patients comes in, the average cost of waste is $5. That's $50,000 that goes right to the bottom line. That's $50,000 that could be used to, to put back into the company to buy new equipment, to increase salaries, to do all kinds of good things if we could just get better control of quality. So it's everywhere. It's not just in Boeing or Lockheed or big businesses. It's right next door. Technical performance. When you build something and you want to sell it to your customer, whether it's a toaster, or an F-18 ENF, they rightfully expect it to work. I hadn't been the F-18 ENF program or the F-18 program manager very long. And my flight test guys came in and said, we got a little bit of a problem. At a critical point in the flight envelope, we get an uncommanded roll. And I said, guys, that doesn't sound very good. It was dubbed wing drop. Probably not a good thing to call it, but it was uh, it was an uncommanded roll at a at for those who love this kind of stuff at high G, high Q, or high alpha dot, basically the heart of the fighter envelope. We thought we knew why, but we weren't sure. And we thought with our fly-by-wire electronic flight controls, we could do some adjusting on the flight controls and fix it. Two interesting stories. One is that we, we needed to tell the customer right away because this was going to cause a, a delay and might cause a cost problem. We didn't know. And uh, our senior customer wanted to tell the assistant secretary of the Navy. And so, but he didn't want to, he didn't want to leak it to the press because he, he had confidence we, we'd get it fixed. So he hand wrote a letter and he hand delivered it to the assistant secretary of the Navy. Next day, I walk into work at seven o'clock in the morning and my, my secretary is sitting there and she throws a copy of the Washington Post on my desk. It's really not good when you show up above the fold on the front page of the Washington Post with a headline that says F-18 ENF program to be canceled because of poor wing design. Well, obviously that didn't happen. The story of how we solved that is much longer than this podcast deserves, but we did solve it. And uh, we also were able to generate enough EAC reserve, estimated complete reserve by 
reducing any kind of redundancies we had in the schedule. And we managed to deliver that airplane on costs and on schedule, got it through operational evaluation on costs and on schedule. And in 1999, our team was awarded the Collier Trophy for the most significant accomplishment in aeronautics and astronautics for that year. So it all goes to show that when you're transparent and you start asking the why question and you put the right team on it, they can fix just about anything. You know, there's a story behind every one of these things that we've talked about. The key to the whole thing is to, to do the analysis weekly, if you possibly can, monthly at the worst. Uh, I, I've watched how the government measures, and they measure monthly using earned value. By the time they get the data, the data is six weeks old. And by the time they come up with a concern, it's two months old. Statisticians will tell you it takes six data points to create a trend. Can you imagine in an airplane development program, if you use monthly earned value data that was then analyzed and not acted on until two months later, and you waited for six of those evolutions to identify a trend, what a train wreck it would be. We went weekly and two data points was just fine with me. If we had two data points going in the wrong direction, we were moving then. And I don't know where Boeing is today, but when I retired about 10 years ago, we had never missed an on-time FA-18 delivery, whether that was an AB, CD, or the EF after we got it out of development and into production. You don't have to have a sophisticated process like Boeing. What you do have to have is a way to get consistent data on cost, schedule, quality, technical performance, supplier performance, customer satisfaction, and employee satisfaction. You have to have a process to understand what risk is and how you're going to mitigate it and where the budget's going to come from to pay for the mitigation. And finally, you need to know when to ask for help because they're gonna come times, no matter how good you think you are, how great your team is, how terrific your processes are, that things are gonna overwhelm you and go in ways you didn't expect. Asking for help is an honorable thing to do. Not asking for help was dumb. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been lots of fun. I look forward to my next session with you. You're listening to Leading Successful Businesses Audiocast, sponsored by Ascension Transformation Solutions. For more resources, visit ascensionts.com to learn about how you can shape your business future through strategic transformation.